south of the border, down Mexico way. That's where I fell in love when the stars above came out to play. And now as I wander. Hello there, all you expat wannabes. I'm Johnny Mueller, and you're listening to The Expat Files, Living in Latin America, the show that tells you just what it's like to live, work, play, and or retire down here in Latin America. It's a mix of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great, and it's all right here, so let's get started. You know, I do a lot of traveling, so I often stay in Airbnbs and or furnished apartments short term. And I've noticed there's kind of a trend that I'm not liking very much at all. Landlords are buying these so-called hybrid washer-dryer units and installing them in furnished apartments, Airbnbs, etc. In that regard, I've got just one thing to say. Those hybrid washer-dryers kind of suck. I've tried a lot of them, even the so-called brand name ones like LG and Panasonic. You do know what I'm talking about, right? A combined washer-dryer unit. You put your clothes in, Run the wash cycle, and when it's over, you switch to the dry cycle. You don't take the clothes out at all because it's the same unit. You just hit a different set of buttons. Well, I'm here to tell you the wash cycle works just fine. It's the dry cycle. I can't believe they even put some of these things on the market. It can take four, even five hours to dry a load of clothes. And it's not because people don't change the filters and they get clogged. Well, they don't change them, but I do. And it's all about airflow, but still, no matter how much airflow you have, when it's a combined washer-dryer unit and you go to the dry cycle, seriously, it takes twice as long as your average, dedicated, standalone dryer unit. I know, I know, they develop those things for convenience and for use in very small spaces, like tiny studio apartments and stuff. But man, I'll tell you, they just have not perfected those things yet. That's why when I'm scrolling through an Airbnb site, you know, they show all the rooms, usually a photo of every room, right? When I see the place has got one of those hybrid units, I immediately downgrade the place a few points. Oh, and I've been to appliance stores. Those are expensive. You're better off buying one of those double washer-dryer units, you know, where one's stacked on top of the other, they're connected. You've seen them, those long, skinny units with the washer on the bottom and the dryer on the top at eye level. Again, those things were designed for very small apartment spaces, too. I've used quite a few of those things, too, and they work just fine, except... They're not very durable, not like a standalone unit. It's the washing machine part, not the dryer part, that seems to break down more frequently. And because everything's so compact and parts jammed in such small spaces, they're not nearly as easy to troubleshoot or fix as a standalone unit. I bought one a few years back, but never again. Believe me, I've tried to troubleshoot and fix a few of those units. Sometimes I was successful, sometimes I wasn't. Then you got to call in the expert, and chances are he's not going to have the parts on him right then and there. In the end, If you have a new one, they're not terrible. They are much better than those all-in-one hybrid units. I'd never buy one of those, at least not till they perfect them. Still, I always prefer a standalone washer and a standalone dryer unit side by side. At least there's a lot of room inside for you to take them apart and fix them if you have to. Shame how these days things never last as long as they did in your mom's and pop's day. Not your major appliances anyway, that's for sure. So again, skip the hybrid washer-dryer units. That is, if you're in the market to buy a washer or dryer. Don't get sucked in. Though they sure look nice and are great space savers. Just saying, a little advice from someone who's tried quite a few of those things and was never satisfied. By the way, I've stayed at a lot of furnished apartments and Airbnbs where they just have a washer, no dryer. What the hell are you supposed to do with your wet clothes? You're not allowed to hang them on your balcony. It's tacky anyway. 
So you end up draping them all over the place, on your sofa, your chairs. Tacky, man, tacky. And you know I hate using laundromats. How about you? By the way, speaking of renting furnished apartments and Airbnbs and such, you know, it seems recently there's been a huge plague of bed bugs throughout the world. Not a pleasant thought when you're going to rent an Airbnb or a furnished apartment, is it? Even my own brother, who rents out a few houses in Chicago, he's had to vacate and completely fumigate a few and kick out a tenant who was a hoarder and smelt like a dumpster. In the end, he had to rip out all the carpets and tear out a few walls and call in a professional extermination service. He tried fumigating the place himself, but he just couldn't get rid of them all. So the professionals put a tent over the house and bombed it. And that's up north where it gets mighty cold and frosty during the wintertime. And you'd think that would limit the bed bug action. But he tells me if you rent to people on welfare, you have to expect that kind of thing. The thing is, he says, there's no way to dictate the cleanliness and hygienic capabilities of your renters. You can't control how they clean their houses or if they clean them at all. And that's up north in the cold. Well, just think about what happens here in tropical climates, where maintenance and personal hygiene aren't very high on a person's bucket list, especially if the water's not running 24-7. You guys have heard me harp on that before. How if you live in a municipality, you're not going to get water 24-7, unless you have a nice big cistern installed. Well, as for me, I've been in many, many houses and apartments, and I've seen enough cucaracha action to know that landlords especially don't give a shit. They're not going to do a thing about it if you call and complain. It's on you. I'm sure, though, they bug bomb a house between clients to get rid of cucarachas and other critters between renters. You can always tell a place has just been bug bombed, too, by the nasty smell that lingers. I'm always thinking time to open the windows and air the place out, man. Since insecticides are not compatible with human life, either. Problem is, it settles on everything, including the plates and the silverware. And what about after moving into a new apartment or getting a new Airbnb that has just been bombed for insects? Are you good with that? And what does it tell you? That telltale insecticide odor lingers around for days. And you're stuck living there and, and breathing it. Don't say you get used to it. You don't. Now, this may sound nitpicky, but it's really not. Have you given any thought to the mattress you're sleeping on when you're staying in a hotel, renting an Airbnb, or even getting a fully furnished apartment? You probably don't want to even think about how many people or what kind of people or what were the habits of the people that slept on it before you. And believe me, I made the mistake a number of times of flipping a mattress over to see what's on its bad side. The side the landlord's been hiding, the side he doesn't want you to see. Not to mention, according to experts in the hotel business, you don't even want to know how many and what kind of little creatures are living in that mattress that remain alive and kicking even after the thing's been bug-bombed. And let's not even touch on the squishy, humid, canubial aspects of it. Now, you can get overly paranoid about that stuff and let it take over in your head. You have to sort of let it go. Just like when you first found out there were 10 times as many bacteria living in you and on you than the number of human cells in your body. A revolting development for sure at the time, right? But you don't think about it anymore, do you? You let it go, I hope. Anyway, a couple of years ago, when I was staying at a hotel, I woke up a few times in the middle of the night feeling as if some tiny little bugs, I mean, no see em little bugs, so small you can't even see them, were hovering around my face. And we're talking about a decent hotel, at least a three-star hotel. Now, the thing is, I always carry a very small can of off with me, you know, bug repellent. It's really been overkill, too, because I don't think I've used it in over a year, even two. That stuff's not really good for you either. You don't want to put it on your skin. Anyway, I used it that night 
at that particular hotel, and the bugs no longer bothered me. The smell and feel of the off bothered me, but the bugs, no. Same thing happened the next night. I was booked at that hotel for three nights. Every night, the bugs came. Though I couldn't really see them, they were there. Yeah, and after the first day, I read them the riot act down at the front desk. They changed the bedding and all that. But you know how hotels are? All the three- and four-star hotels have carpeting. The perfect place for tiny bugs to set up shop. Anyway, that's what I decided. Shit, I'm not going to go through that again. Well, I did some investigating, and I find out there are such things as mattress encasements. Pillow encasements, too. So I bought a set. Guaranteed bed bug and dust mite proof pillowcase and mattress covers that I carry along with me when I'm going to stay at an Airbnb or furnished apartment. By the way, if you're looking for a furnished apartment in Latin America, you're looking for the word amueblado. Amueblado. It's got the word mueble in it. Mueble means furniture. So anyway, some years ago already, I went to Amazon and bought this thing called the Sleep Defense System. I think it cost me like 40 bucks for the queen mattress cover and the two zippered pillowcases. They fold down very small, compact, and tiny, like a nice folded sheet and pillowcases. Talk about a great insurance policy against bed bugs and other nasty, creepy crawlers. Anyway, just a thought for you if you travel a lot or your rent places that are furnished. They're fully washable and mostly cotton, too. Apparently, all the nursing homes use them, too, for nighttime leaks. By the way, a while back, one of my expat insider seminar attendees, a frequent traveler, too, he showed me a sort of a sleeping bag thing he carries in his suitcase everywhere he goes. It's not really a sleeping bag. It's just a thin sort of sleeping bag casing, you know, about as thick as a sheet. He puts that in his bed, climbs into that while he's sleeping, so he's never touching the sheets of the bed he's sleeping in. Not a bad idea at all, especially if you were like him, a guy who sleeps in lower-end hotels and backpacker hostels and such. Now, I know a lot of you guys and gals might think I'm kind of anal about this, but remember, just a couple of months ago, there were articles all over the news, all over the world, talking about how France, who is hosting the 2024 Olympics, is experiencing a plague of bed bug problems. In fact, I remember seeing articles showing photos of beds out on the streets of Paris, you know, stacked up next to dumpsters to be taken out in the trash. In fact, they're still talking about it. Here's an article that says the French government has vowed to take action to reassure and protect the public as its capital, Paris especially, reports widespread increases in bed bugs. Not only have there been thousands and thousands of reports in houses and rentals, but there are sightings of bed bugs in public transportation systems, in the upholstery cushions of trains and metros. Ew, marvelous, huh? In fact, it says the emerging phenomena of the plague of bed bugs in France began well over three years ago when the French government launched an anti-bed bug campaign, which included a dedicated website, information hotline, and reporting system. 1-800-EW. <laughs> but that's no joke. According to experts from France's National Health and Sanitary Safety Body, they say the problem has been exacerbated by mass migrations that began a few years back, allowing uncontrolled numbers of third and fourth world migrants into the country with different sanitation norms. It seems bed bugs follow the movements of large groups of people from countries with lower hygienic standards. Third and fourth world travelers bring back bed bugs in their suitcases, luggage, on their clothes in person, even their children's toys. In addition, scientists are observing more and more that bed bug populations in Europe are much more resistant than older populations, so there's no miracle treatment to get rid of them. 
This news comes as Paris gets ready to host the 2024 Olympic Games, with officials trying to reassure the public that bed bugs existed before the Olympics and they'll exist afterward too. Oh, and oddly enough, bed bugs don't like tobacco smoke, so even so called less hygienic European homes with smokers have noticeably fewer bed bug problems. By the way, have you been to Europe lately? I have. It's a smoker's paradise. They smoke their asses off. Spain, France, Italy, Greece, especially around the Mediterranean, there are tons of smokers, almost like the U.S. in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And though it may seem there are tons of smokers in Western Europe, you should see Eastern Europe, Romania, Bulgaria, Montenegro, Serbia, Turkey, Uzbekistan, in fact, all of the stands. Cigarette smoking man is an epidemic. Oh, and they're not smoking Marlboros either. They're smoking the off-brands, the cheap stuff. Oh, and you wouldn't believe how many people buy a tin of tobacco and roll their own. In fact, that's what one of my British expat insider attendees told me a while back. We were talking about middle-class Brits versus middle-class Americans. He said one of the biggest differences he noticed between the average British guy and American is that Americans wouldn't think to roll their own, whereas the average British guy who smokes can't afford to buy real Marlboros. I noticed it too, but until he mentioned it, I never really thought of it that way. All right, speaking of my upcoming March 2024 Expat Insider Seminar, as this show first goes out on Friday, January 19th, 2024, that means if you're hearing this show fresh out of the box, you've got 10 days to sign up for my Expat Insider Seminar and still get in on the early bird discounts. Because on February 1st, 2024, we go back to regular prices. Come on, who doesn't want to save 500 bucks? Remember, you've got till February 1st to get in on that deal. To get all the info, the agenda, and the sign-up details, just go to expatplanb.com and click on the seminar link. Again, I've just got to ask that question. How's your plan B coming? Man, there's just more and more shit going down in Ecuador, huh? You been checking it out? You know, I've been doing my expat insider seminars now for around 10 or 11 years. And of course, those people who do end up staying down generally end up in Guatemala or El Salvador, Mexico, Honduras, Panama. And some of them end up in Ecuador. In fact, I've had some repeat offenders who ended up living in Ecuador. I haven't heard from them in a while. I wonder how they're doing. And you know me, if you're a long-term listener, you know me anyway. I've never recommended Ecuador as a good plan B. Never. Though I've often said it's a nice place to visit, I wouldn't want to live there. But, damn, it seems people would rather listen to big, glossy magazines like International Living than me. I'm sure you longtime listeners remember when I used to say quite a bit, if International Living recommends it, scratch it off your list. They're always way too late to the party. Anyway, so many chaotic events and dangers and disasters have occurred in Ecuador in the last couple of months. It's almost too many to point out. And it's not just with this new president. With the last president, I think he had at least 20 states of emergency, you know, 20 times when he declared martial law, curfews in states of emergency. A very bad sign, just like the COVID lockdowns. I don't know how much you've been keeping up with this, but if you remember, just last year, in July of 2023, over 90 prison guards in Ecuador were being held hostage by inmates across five different prisons. Remember that? And just a couple weeks ago, some armed cartel members broke into a TV station while it was on the air, grabbed hostages, and took the place over. All live for everyone to see, right on the air. Also in 2023, authorities in Miami caught Ecuador's comptroller of currency, 
trying to escape on the run after stealing, I think it was 11 million or so. How did Ecuador go in just five years from having the lowest murder and crime rate in Latin America to the highest, aside from Mexico and Venezuela, that is? Well, according to a 2023 government report, it turns out more than a third of all the cocaine produced in South America, mostly Peru and Colombia, is now being transported through Ecuador. Seems the Mexican cartel business model for cocaine has been copied and pasted and transported to Ecuador. All the same Mexican cartels exist in Ecuador now. And their power extends from the prisons to politicians to the streets. So anyway, just last week, their new president, Naboa, declared a state of emergency on January 8th, implementing a nationwide curfew that's set to last two months, including school closings. The move followed a prison break by their number one criminal leader, Adolfo Marcus, known as Fito. When that guy escaped and the president declared the state of emergency, you know, martial law. The organized criminal groups, the cartels, announced they were going to target universities, television stations, prisons, and the cops. Since then, there have been car bombings, kidnappings, prison riots, and high-profile murders every single day since that announcement. And you know, a couple months ago, when the president was first voted in, he's a young guy, I think, 32 years old or so. Anyway, voters were thinking he would be the next President Bukele, like El Salvador, since he promised to build two brand new high security prisons using Bukele's example. In fact, he wanted to build carbon copies of Bukele's prisons way out in the boonies, far away from the cities where the criminals inside would have no contact or ability to influence the locals. Well, guess what? He can't seem to get his Congress to go along with the vote on that. So are they just a bunch of bought and paid for corrupt cowards? Hey, they're politicians. Why wouldn't they be? Though there have been a couple of emergency presidential decrees, like, for example, this one. All foreigners entering Ecuador through land borders, like, for example, Peru, Colombia, etc., will now have to present an original certified certificate of Ancidentes Peñales. That would be a police report, otherwise known as a rap sheet. All you gringos and expats out there who have residency in a foreign country know about that. You had to get one, too. In your case, a police or FBI report from back where you live in the States. According to this new measure, which is in effect right now, you must show them a clean police report or criminal record issued by your country of origin or residence for whichever country you lived in in the previous five years. So then how does it affect gringos and expats down there? Well, assume that U.S. citizens could be subject to this measure. If, for example, you're coming in from Colombia or the beaches of Peru through a land border. Because, you know, even if you're a permanent resident in Ecuador, you're still a foreigner until you get your citizenship. So then how do you get one of those police reports, or as we call them sometimes, good conduct report? Well, good luck with that. It'll take some time and a lot of expensive courier packages to and from the United States. The other thing they don't mention is how recent does this good conduct report have to be? Because if you're applying for residency in Ecuador or any place else in Latin America, the report can't be stamped and dated any longer than six months from the moment you apply. There is a question, however, expat gringos often ask about those good conduct reports. What happens, let's say, if you've been living in El Salvador for two or three years? Or Brazil or Panama or Guatemala? How do you get an official police report from your Latin American country? Well, all you got to do is go to your lawyer. Probably cost you maybe 25 to 50 bucks, and he can have one of his office staff run down and get you one from the local police department. By the way, in Latin American countries, there are usually two of these reports. 
One's from the local police registry in the city or township where you live, and the other is a national or federal registry. Now, you can go down to the police station yourself, if you speak Spanish well enough, and apply for that certificate. It'll probably cost you two or three bucks. Could take you four hours to get one, too. (laughs) So the question is, how much is four hours of your time worth? (laughs) As for me, there have been times I needed to get one of those reports, and I just went to my lawyer's office. He had both of those reports ready the next day. Oh, and here's another question you might get about those reports from gringos living down here. What happens if you've got a mancha? A stain on your report. Who knows, a drunken disorderly charge? Whatever. I've been told by gringos in this position that for another 50 or 100 bucks, your lawyer can have that report all cleaned up. (laughs) Now, before you get in a tussle about that, remember, the name of this show is The Expat Files Living in Latin America, where you're going to hear the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great. So when I mention that certain legal documents can be manipulated for money, quite small amounts of money, too. That's why you're listening to this show, right? Just the facts, ma'am. By the way, speaking of Bukele, you know, we talked about this a lot. Practically every Latin American politician says he'd like to do exactly what Bukele's doing. And Bukele's been in office, what, three, four years now? And even though there's talk in all the other Latin American countries of doing it his way, no one else has stuck his neck out that far yet. You know, I've had some very deep discussions with some very intelligent people about that. The conclusion is they all want to do it, but they all have crooked pasts. On top of that, with Bukele, the stars were all aligned in his favor. No other Latin American politicians seem to have had that luck. So, what am I talking about here? Well, turns out before Bukele, El Salvador had its main two parties. It had other parties, too. But there were two main parties that were almost always in control. Bukele was part of the young, educated wing of his party, one of those two big political parties. Well, he had new ideas that got no traction within his own party. He pushed hard within his own party and ended up making enemies there. Eventually, they got pissed at him and ended up kicking him out of his own party. So what he did was he took his friends and young intellectual buddies and started his own brand new party. So when he won, he owed none of the traditional parties anything. In fact, he was enemies of all of them. That was why it was so easy for him to cut all of them off. Clean house in Congress and start with a fresh slate. The trick is, for a brand new president with strong ideas to really get things done, it's not having to owe any of the traditional liar-to-ass scumbag politicians any favors. And so far, in Latin America anyway, only President Bukele in El Salvador has had that advantage. Oh, and before I forget, just one more thing about Ecuador. Looks like with all the crap and the chaos going on there right now, the real estate market is taking a big hit. Why wouldn't it? Who wants to move there, right? Oh, and all that chaos is killing the idea that foreign investors are interested in coming down to do business, too. So, let's see now. The schools are closed. They've got martial law. The economy's taking a big hit. Real estate's collapsing. Foreigners and foreign companies are afraid to come in and invest. However, there's always hope. Maybe Bukele-style politics will prevail. We'll see. Hey, believe it or not, I've got some ICE, I-C-E, law enforcement officials as regular listeners to the show. You know, ICE, I-C-E, is part of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, I-C-E. Their job, you know, is to collect and deport illegal aliens. Anyway, one of those listeners just sent me a copy of the National Law Review for January 16th, 2024, highlighting an article whose title is Illegal Immigrants to the U.S. Arrested in 220, that's the year 2020, had an average of four 
previous criminal convictions each, according to Homeland Security's own data. Isn't that funny? They're just coming out with statistics from the year 2020 right now, almost four years old, right? Why so tardy? Why so late? Well, I'm thinking because their 2023 stats would really embarrass the shit out of them. Just listen to this. It says, according to the figures released by ICE for the year 2020, it conducted 103,603 administrative arrests in the U.S. Of those arrested, 90% of the illegals had criminal convictions or charges at the time of arrest. 90%. Those arrested immigrants had a total of more than 374,000 previous convictions and charges. That's an average of four previous criminal convictions per person. Yet these guys were all illegal walking around in the United States, living and hanging out in the States as free as birds. So then what kinds of previous crimes had they been convicted of? Going down the list, it says there were 74,000 convictions for drunken driving, followed by 67,000 drug offenses, with over 2,000 charged or convicted of homicide. Yet they were walking around free as birds in the United States until they got picked up again. And the list goes on. Within this group of arrests, 1,900 kidnapping convictions, 37,000 assaults, and 10,000 sex crimes. More than 5,000 of these guys were known or convicted gang members. 675 believed to be members of the MS-13 gang. The report also says there were 31 known or suspected terrorists in the group. The question is, how many dickheads do you know stupid enough to believe in open borders? And here's what you didn't know. Well, you might not have known some of the stuff we just spoke about. Federal law gives ICE agents jurisdiction only within 100 miles of the U.S. border. That means if you're an illegal or an illegal criminal sneaking in, if you get past the first 100 miles, you're not going to get picked up by ICE. They have no jurisdiction. Unless ICE has an actual arrest or search warrant in hand, issued by a judge within that district, with the subject's complete and correct legal name on it. By the way, that's why this particular ICE agent who sent this to me says the state of Florida is one of the best places to nab illegal immigrants because Florida is surrounded by water on three sides, meaning it's within the warrantless area of 100 miles from a U.S. border. So Florida is one of the few states ICE agents do not need a warrant to interrogate or search a subject they believe is an illegal alien, a terrorist, or criminal which is not the case for American states that are landlocked by other American states like Kansas, Colorado, Wyoming, Nebraska, Missouri, Arkansas, Tennessee, etc., etc., where ICE, ICE, cannot do warrantless searches or interrogations. And illegals, he says, know the loopholes. They know the system well. All right, we're getting towards the end of the show. Now, one last thing. In The Things You Learn by Serendipity Department, I just stumbled on this quote from a book I've been reading. It says the genius of the Listerine campaign from Procter & Gamble was not attributable to the creation of the world's most famous mouthwash, Listerine, but of Procter & Gamble's advertising men popularizing the word halitosis. Yeah, halitosis. What a revolting development. Too bad you can't screen for it on those Cupid dating apps. It's a surprise you'll find out about on that first date. 
You've been listening to The Expat Files, living in Latin America. If you need some help with your own Plan B, we can schedule a one-on-one phone or Skype consult. Just send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. And if you want to get on the waiting list for my next week-long expat insider seminar in Central America, where you're guaranteed to get a two- to five-year head start on your Plan B, send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. Nos vemos.